Hey everyone, as Todd said, my name is Josh, and I'm excited to be teaching y'all today. So we've been uh, uh, a church that's been on quite the journey with resurrection, and I think as part of what we've done in that, uh, we can notice that there's been some tension as we've talked about resurrected lives, because we've said that when we experience resurrection, something changes, something becomes different. And if we're not too careful, we could take what we've learned and make almost like a new to-do list, like a resurrection to-do list. You know, we've talked about different topics, right? Like, you know, with money, okay, we're gonna give money away. We're going to uh, do something generous, uh, you know, every week, every day. Like, this is the new kingdom to-do list. Um, we're going to maybe say about sex, uh, we will not let shame and its destructive power have the last word. We will, as Patrick commanded us and exhorted us to, parent beardlessly. We will uh, love uh, being vulnerable, because of course we love vulnerability all the time, and we'll model using power with health and wisdom. We will rest harder than ever before. You see the problem with this list. It can just be another to-do list. No, let's, let's not do that. Scripture calls uh, this kind of living, where we take something, even good things, and we say we're going to live kind of to them or try to achieve them, a way of living according to the flesh, a way of living according to the law, where we try to manage things that we've often created for ourselves. But there's something much better in store for us. I think there's something we have that's different than that. This series that we've been doing called Resurrected Lives, it's not saying that we just each make up a life and we get to live into resurrection individually. That's not what it is. It's saying that we actually have resurrected lives together in the church. That corporate resurrection actually means something for us and our body. And not just resurrection individually, but something that is corporate, being resurrected together. Something changes when we acknowledge that. And I think some of our sermons have gotten to that. Like, what if we took some of those maybe to-do lists, and instead of putting them on us, we said we just expect God will do some of that work in the body. Get what I'm saying here? There's a way that corporately we see what God does. There's a corporate resurrection that we can lean into. And I actually think we see the beginnings of some of this community in scriptures all throughout the New Testament, specifically in Paul's letters, that invite us into a different way. A different way that's not just for one of us. And it's honestly not for Jesus only, but it's for us as the church together. So I'm going to read a section of scripture uh, this is going to be in Romans. This is going to just be to get kind of us in this mode, thinking about what the invitation is here. We'll read some more scripture later, but I just want to kind of get us in this mode. And one of the ways that we'll do that, I will say you, but I want you to think of when there's a you, really that there's kind of a deeper y'all. It's really all of us, right? So here's what it says in Romans uh, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you, y'all, free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh 
to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're going to hear this a lot, two different ways, way of the flesh and a way of the spirit. Through Jesus, we get a way out of one into the other. Jesus is our bridge from this one way of living to a spirit way of living. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It continues. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, remember here, not just individual, corporately. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. No condemnation in Christ. It bears fruit in us individually, but it also bears something else that's even more corporate. We become family together, kids of the kingdom, the children of God who get to cry out, Abba, Father, no longer living in fear, but living in this new reality. Again, not alone, but together. The way of Jesus and the way of resurrection, we've said time and time again, is acknowledging some kind of death, some kind of loss. That's just reality this side of heaven, but it's asking God to help bring resurrection to us. Death or loss is just reality, but the different thing we can do is to ask for help, to ask God to bring resurrection reality to us. And as we ask for that help, we give up our own way, the way of flesh managed by law, and we take on a new way, the way of Jesus. And we become, again, not just an individual kid of the kingdom, but what does it say? We become children, children who are part of a family, kids of the kingdom. We're a family doing this resurrection life together. And of course, this resurrection life starts in us. We can see it regenerating us, restoring us, aiding us in our own personal lives. But also, we need to imagine together and have bold imagination for what happens when we all try to do this together, when we try to practice resurrection corporately. It's powerful because resurrection can still come in you, but it can also come with the person you're sitting next to, someone that is like you, 
someone that's different, your home group leader, someone in the home group. It can be anywhere, anyone. Resurrection can just sprout up and you can receive the benefit, the fullness of that. You can be blessed, not just emerging from your own story, but in and through the church. Here's how this works. When God builds a community of resurrection related to money, we see the fruit of generosity, abundance in our community, not scarcity. And not just abundance in terms of physical goods, but a mentality of abundance, it becomes contagious. We talked about this when we had uh, the sermon on sex that I gave, where when you think about what would it mean for a community to be free of shame and for us to bless each other with that freeing, that becomes a powerful community that can do different things together. A community that can long for wholeness and holiness without the fear of being shamed or ashamed, without the sense of secret sin, because that could be confessed, repented from. Something is different when you start to build those resurrection habits. Patrick kind of teased this out a little bit when we were thinking about parenting. What happens when there's a community of fearless parents, parents together? means that you're not as afraid of mistakes. Maybe another parent judging you for your own path, your own story. You get to raise kids in community in a whole new way, and so on and so forth for everything we've been talking about and more. A community of resurrection is, of course, about Jesus and what he did, but Jesus himself, I think, makes it all about us in a kind of weird, bizarre way. Think about it. You know, we talked about this for Pentecost. Jesus, you know, is resurrected, and then he gives instructions. And those instructions are for the disciples to wait. And then he leaves. And then the Spirit comes. And the Spirit comes and doesn't say, hey, here's where Jesus is, like the person. It says, no, here's where the work of Jesus is. Go, follow, in some pretty extreme ways. The Spirit empowers people to be the church. And then they live in the strength of the Spirit, following the way and the voice of Jesus under the love and parenting of our Heavenly Father. Here's what I think this means for us. God builds a community through resurrection, and we are made alive as we participate in this corporate resurrection with God in our own stories and with one another. But I think this can go poorly. We can get this confused a little bit. We can make the leader of any movement, whether it's Jesus, whether it's someone else, we can make that leader a moral exemplar who we, of course, cannot follow because we're not perfect. We get overwhelmed, we get discouraged, and we say, well, we couldn't really be Jesus, could we? And then we kind of do our own thing. Does this make sense? I think this happens sometimes in our lives. Like, we were trying to follow, but Jesus, you're just too, you're just too perfect. You're just a little bit, yeah, you, you are perfect, Jesus, come on, you're perfect, right? And we're not, so we can't really do it. So we just do our own thing. I think sometimes we look for moral exemplars that way, kind of like say, well, they can do it. And another way of saying that is like, we can't, but they can, right? We do this a lot. We give up some of our work just to leaders instead of participating in it ourselves. Can I give you like a modern day example, like a way that that has happened? Of course, it's going to be like a non-divine leader. It's not Jesus. But it's someone that gets fairly elevated in our storytelling. 
Uh, you might guess who we can think of here. You know, Dr. King is an, an easy target for this, like someone that like so many people praise and say is a moral exemplar. I'm not gonna judge like your pulse on MLK Day when you see like, the tweets come in. You're like, wait, this person? They tweeted the quote from MLK? Like, do they know who they are? I'm not gonna say that you've been there or I've been there or anyone in this room has been there, but maybe we have. And you're like, what is going on? But there's a way we kind of give up our leadership to, in this case, a convenient historical figure that can no longer speak, can no longer say, uh-uh, guys, can no longer be followed or not, right? But the thing is, even in King's day, there's some interesting facts to share here. He actually wasn't that popular, according to polling. People kind of were scared when he came into the town. And there were many leaders of the movement, so people weren't just following him. I think this is actually a powerful thing to realize. They were following a way. They were following some habits. It's actually much closer to what we try to do following Jesus. I always say this, I think, to people surprised. Like, here's the things people agreed with um, in the nonviolent movement. These were commandments that people were and required to say, yes, I want to adopt this. To meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. To remember always that the nonviolent uh, commitment in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation not victory. Imagine joining for something that said, you're joining for reconciliation, not victory. That's weird. Walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Pray daily to be used by God in order for all people to be free. Sacrifice personal wishes in order that all would be free. Observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Think about that on Twitter. Is that possible on Twitter? I'm not sure. Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. Sleep is good. Follow the directions of the movement and the captain on a demonstration. Very different invitations, I think, than we might imagine. Now, I want to just challenge you with something. I'm not sure if people have been a part of you know, marches or different kinds of activism. Not sure in 2020, after George Floyd was killed, if you did that. But one of the things I think about is, if you look to the left or to the right, maybe in your last march, Maybe that was your last one. Do you know what they committed to? Do you know what they agreed to? Do you know what they had in their heart? Usually the answer is no, no, and no. And yet a value, justice, or pursuit got you there. That's okay. But there's something different when you can kind of look at pictures from the civil rights movement. Most of them agreed to this. They agreed to a habit, to a way, to like a, a whole vision of how life would be. That's so different. It's just incredibly challenging. And again, I think we can sometimes make our leader do a lot of work for us. We can moralize their life. We can forget we have access to a way, the way of Jesus, the empowering of the spirit, the leadership of the father. We can do a version of maybe like whatever we want. We can do this unto any leader. We can do this unto a value like justice. We can even use the name of Jesus to do it in a church. And we end up leading ourselves just with a banner above us saying something or someone else. Anyone can fall prey to this. We can end up uh, following anyone in that model. But there's something different about pursuing resurrection, about admitting that there's death, and that we need life. There's something different about trusting that the Spirit is going to use us, but also use someone else. That there's signs of the kingdom, signs of resurrection all over, that give us a sense of where Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, that give us the power to point out God's right there, 
I think God's over there. I think God's doing this. That's what we're meant to do as witnesses, as people are trying to find what the Spirit is doing and to move towards it. What if we need one another in the church to help us follow Jesus? Because we often lose our way and because there's power in practicing corporate resurrection. Maybe you call this following Christ alongside one another. Maybe you just call this Christian community. Maybe this is a word for the church. Maybe again, it's just what Romans said, that we're kids of the kingdom doing life together. This is our invitation when we're trying to pursue corporate resurrection. And there's actually a lot of scripture that talks about how to do this. Like, how do we live into this? That's what we'll spend the rest of the time talking about, just what it looks like practically. Because there's actually a genre, even, in Scripture of this kind of invitation. It's in the letters of Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Matt, several weeks ago, told us his story. And there's usually some section in this about how we've been raised, like what it means that we're raised with Jesus in a way we can now live. We can be made alive in Christ. We can live through the Spirit. We create a new community. And it usually involves something that's like, there's a way of seeing now that's possible, like a new heavenly mindset. It usually involves a list, maybe a list of uh, bad things that satisfy our flesh that are not the way anymore. Lust and idolatry usually get some heavy shout-outs here. And there's usually an emphasis on oneness of following Jesus. It's not just for Jewish folks anymore, but it's for all different kinds of people. We see this in so many letters of Paul, whether it's the letter to Galatians or the Romans that we saw already, Corinthians. And today we're going to look at uh, just uh, a part of the letter to Colossians as a way of thinking about this new family that God is building and what it means for us. So as we get ready to head into Scripture one more time, I just want to pray for us to be kind of ready for what this new invitation is and what that invitation to resurrection means for us. God, we pray that you would uh, awaken us to an invitation, that you would help us and you would serve us, God, as we go deeper in what it means that our lives are formed by you and you help use one another to go even deeper, for us to practice that resurrection and to see it not just as an individual gift, but as something we can feast in in the body of Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move forward, there's three simple points that we're going to look at today, that our lives are formed by the hope of glory, our lives are formed by the possibility and reality of transformation, that our lives are formed by being God's kids in God's kingdom. We'll start with this one first, the hope of glory. I'm just going to read from Colossians, just a uh, few verses. Since then you have been raised with Christ, there's the resurrection piece again, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I love some of these lines because it can be so spiritual. It almost sounds too spiritual, like the point of, like, Paul, what are you actually saying? I'm not sure. But there's something about the above here, where the above is doing work to say God is seated through Christ in the heavenly places. Sometimes we can take something like this and say, what does this mean? That there's like heavenly things and earthly things. Is this just saying that, you know, Paul's inviting people to just contemplate on the skies and celestial songs or angels? I think that would be a bad reading of this. Instead, I think something else is happening. 
that we get to set our minds on things above, to think about what does it mean that Christ is sitting high and lifted up as a Messiah, as this authority, and we get to see our lives in that perspective. Does that make sense? We see our lives through the lens of this resurrected Christ. That's the heavenly thing that we can do now. Not looking at our life in a normal way, but seeing there's something that God is doing as we connect with God. We recognize, oh, he's Messiah. He's a, a leader of our lives. There's something about this where in, when you do ordinary things now, you can see God's heavenly perspective. I think about this home group that we did last week where we basically just shared, why are you thankful at the end of the year? What did God do in this group? And people didn't share, and then I was taken up into the third heaven, and I saw this vision of angels, and that's why I'm thankful for home group. That would have been fine if someone did that. But instead, people said something more like, this has been a hard season, and there was a way that I was lonely for this reason. And this is the thing that this group did to change that. I was seen, I was prayed for. I saw this dilemma I had actually was an opportunity. I overcame this challenge, but it was through this community's prayers. They took something that could have been called an earthly thing, but seeing how there was authority in Christ to bring power through community, all of a sudden they saw their life differently. They saw their life changed. I'm not sure here who does spiritual direction, but there's a, a lot that I think happens in spiritual direction that's like that, where you just tell someone the story of your life and they ask questions, well, where was God there? Or did you notice that actually, it seems like some desire came out there? Or I, I think Jesus was right there with you, did you feel him? Where they take your ordinary life, simple earthly things, but because Christ is lifted up, you get to narrate your story completely differently. Oftentimes we can't do that work ourselves. We need other people. We need a director, we need a home group, we need a triad, we need people that are practicing resurrection that can say, can you see the life there where you were saying there was death just a year ago? I'm not sure if everyone walked in that home group with a gratitude, but because we had that challenge and an opportunity, I walked away with such a moment of communal worship where I had seen what God had done that year. And it wasn't one of us, it wasn't as spiritual as just Jesus outside of our group, we were involved in seeing how God moved and seeing how we connected with the Lord. I actually think that's part of what it means when it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Glory is this radiation of God's goodness that we find by saying together, that is good, or God is here, and we agree. It's radiating with God's glory. So we actually appear with Christ, who's with us, who's helping us, who's seated high, and we get to say, we appeared with him in that glory as we witnessed together about God's goodness. I think that's part of what that means. And there's more. There's more as the text continues that we see that, that our lives are formed by possibility and the reality of transformation. You have to bear with me here because there's a kind of part of Paul where you can think, wait, are you going back to the law? This is confusing. Why do you have this list of bad things? So let's read it together. It's a few verses from 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, 
rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So again, that, that list can be a little bit overwhelming. It's like, again, I want to do right. <laughs> I want to live right. Seems like there's a lot of bad things not to do. But I think there's something happening as Paul's coming into these communities. Because again, this isn't just here in this text. It's in a lot of them. I think he's seeing stories being told. I want to shed something to own something new. I want to lose off or, or shed a way of life and step into newness. The closest thing I can think of is when in our community, we've seen people get baptized and we see like, what do you want to change in your life? Or what do you want to set to death or say no to? And usually you don't have to ask that many times. They know already. There's a habit I have. There's something I'm stuck in. I've seen it in, as communities are engaged in evangelism, as people are stepping into new life with Christ. You know, sometimes it's been Yale College students saying there's just this thing with ambition where I just don't know how not to want more for myself. And I want to release that. There's been things with uh, folks uh, in our ministries uh, to folks who live outside where it's like there's addictions that they want to see kind of power from God change. I think there's something about having a community of transformation that oftentimes comes from people that are coming to faith anew and afresh, where we can see in them this desire for wanting something deeper and different. And oftentimes, if I'm honest, when we're in the church and it's just us and it's kind of a holy huddle, sometimes we feel like, well, I'm kind of fine with things. I know that there's transformation. Tried it. Tried it once, that one small group. Didn't work. It was hard. And we kind of just accept more the way things can be. But when we hear stories of people coming to faith in Jesus, we know there's something new. There's possibilities. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Today, I knew I was going to give this message, and I walked in, and during worship, someone said, hey, what's going on up here when we were taking communion? I said, well, you know, this is the story of Jesus, the body and the bread. And I said, we do this for people who follow Jesus. Do you follow Jesus? And someone in this room, I won't point them out, said, I, I don't. I said, do you want to? And they said, yes, because there's something that's plaguing me right now. There's something that's really hard for me, and I, I want to let that go. And they accepted Jesus, a new brother right here in the room, said yes to God. We can celebrate that. They said yes to Jesus. And they had said there's something that they wanted to let go of. There's something here as we see this list of things that are powers in people's lives. They have weight that's not the weight of glory. It's a weight that holds them back. And there's something about being a brother or sister, a sibling that can say, yes, I want to pursue transformation with you. I want to believe that that's possible. We tell stories, we swap stories about that. And we believe all the more, not just in the possibility of transformation, but eventually that transformation is happening. Sometimes we can't claim that story as our own. We just know it's been a hard season. We can depend on one another. And we can say, yes, there's transformation happening here in the small group. In my household, we're trying to follow Jesus together in the church. That's happening. Last thing. Our lives are being formed by being God's kids in God's kingdom. This is a different list that we usually see. It's, it, honestly, it's a happier list. But we need to, again, not see this just as another thing to do and also not see it, yes, it's a happy list. Cheers, and then don't do it, <laughs> right? You just, this is good stuff. Bye. And then you do something else. 
Here's what it is, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, the question is, were we meant to look at a list of that and see is it just a list of other things for our kingdom to-do list? Or instead, is this something that happens when we plant seeds of resurrection that almost feel irresistible? The Lord has forgiven us, so we are led to forgive others. The Lord has moved in our lives, bringing peace to chaos, and we're called to bring peace to others. The Lord sees us with compassion. We see others with compassion as one of our first things that we see, not judgment. What if this is what resurrection can look like? But this gets into the nitty-gritty of community, the nitty-gritty of can we really be family to one another, the nitty-gritty of how it works across difference or disagreement, even just feeling odd or an odd fit. I remember when I was making an adult decision to come back to church, you know, the kind that you have to make where if you've been in a religious household, it's not your parents anymore that will drag you, but like you will drag yourself. And then you're like, but I don't want to drag myself. I don't want to be dragged. I just want to do other things. But then something changes that where you say, I do want to make that decision. And so I, I did that in college. And I went to a church that some people uh, have know about or have gone to in New Haven. It wasn't ECV, ECV didn't exist at that point. Um, and it was such a beautiful community. And I had such a hard time in it because I was a person that part of my story of coming to faith was really wrestling with God's justice and really wrestling with what it meant that it seemed like I had this vision for justice that oftentimes in the church I didn't see kind of practice at all. And it was really hard to be in those spaces, to feel like God was being worshipped and praised, and yet this thing that I really felt was powerful and from the Lord that was part of my own story and journey wasn't mentioned like at all. Like it was really difficult. And it was really hard to be there. I remember there was this thing in this church where they had a big, what I call, birthday culture. Some of you have been in Christian communities like this where it's like, it's your birthday, we're gonna throw a party, here's some like, presents, here's some things. But that didn't happen like for someone's birthday, but like everyone's birthday. And like, so we just got invited to like birthday party after birthday party. And I'm like, there's justice and injustice in the world. We're throwing birthday parties for each other. Ah! That's like actually how I was in college. And it was so hard. But I felt like the Lord kind of said something to me, which is, Josh, you're doing the most. You're doing a lot. Can you look around? Can you see what I'm doing? Like I'm bringing this culture of family to people in a place where they actually don't see themselves kind of like in just their regular community. They don't really see uh, this wider celebration. And so what I'm doing is I'm celebrating. I'm creating a family. And you could actually be part of it if you stop judging it. <laughs> so like, hold, hold your horses. You could be part of it if you stop judging it. But also, like, it's not like there's something that you uh, don't have to bring. But it's not the only thing that's going to be brought to this place. 
And I had to be humbled and checked by God, but also I was checked by just people's ordinary kindness to me because my judgment actually didn't stop anyone from like asking me to hang out, to like actually pursuing me in relationship, meeting up with me, which I found it, I, I really needed apparently, like I did. I was like, I needed that community. And God worked on me like month after month, year after year to the point where actually that community started asking new questions about justice, not really led by me, but just like the spirit was doing something in the body. But I think it helped that I had kind of found my place in it. That was truly hard, but there was almost something irresistible about giving in to just seeing this community and seeing what God was doing, not just what I wanted to be done. And then as I entered this new body, Elm City Vineyard, that had its own quirks and you know challenges, I actually found myself way uh, more equipped to be part of a body and to know that that is something we have to practice. It's not easy to get right. We have to practice it. And we have to notice where God's doing that act of corporate resurrection so we can point it out and celebrate it, honor it. And that sometimes that's gonna happen with me. And that can happen in the body and in the community too. It's almost like this one experience of really rough community prepared me for the other. But I think I saw that because I was learning how to interact, not just with God, but with siblings. Just not privately kind of with God, but in community. And I feel like sometimes we need a huge dose of that to do the church well. When we're using God to escape from our hard relationships in the church, we need to have the caution light blink a little bit more. Do you guys get what I'm saying? We're like, we're going to God to help us just with church. I think that's okay, but at some point we've gotta let church help us with church because of the ways we're being vulnerable with one another, the ways we're asking siblings for prayer, the way they're going to another asking for forgiveness or forgiving someone else. We're actually repairing the body through courageous action because we believe we're actually siblings. We believe we're actually family and we're living that way not just using it as a word or a language, we're actually trying to step into that. I'm gonna give a few invitations, but I just wanna say a few simple things. We belong to God, and we belong to a way. So we have a leader, we also have a, a way that shapes us. And we have the freedom and the calling to belong to one another who are practicing, not getting it right, but practicing that way under God. The same God that, God that calls us kids, which again means that we're siblings in the kingdom and we need to learn how to play together. Roughly, sometimes. Sometimes making amends. And other times really seeing that there's way more together that we can be than by ourselves. We can choose to disown one another or to cut one another off. Those are true choices. But I think we always know something's gone wrong when we do that. Right, that doesn't mean that that person has done something wrong, but that something's gone wrong. If we have to do that, we know this didn't go the way it was supposed to. There are some mistakes that were made, some things that someone is gonna have to own. We also know that there's a power in walking side by side with your actual family, a sister, a brother, a sibling, to see where, how you can walk towards something together. And I think we need Jesus to do that and we need one another. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up I'm just gonna share a few invitations and lead us in a time of prayer. We're gonna to continue to worship in this space. I think we can start 
just by noticing how resurrection stories move us, I, I think about that Thursday home group experience. I was moved by hearing people's stories. Did it expand possibility for you? Did it keep you in step with the spirit versus walking in ways of flesh? Are there uh, other ways you bonded to someone? So think about how can you notice someone else's story and how can that move you to worship? Uh, we can demonstrate resurrected life by asking for God's help to show compassion, God's help to walk in peace or to forgive. There's things we can actually say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And if we're looking at these lists saying we're gonna do something on our own, we're not getting it right. We need to admit what's hard and then ask for God's support. And then we need to practice encouraging someone else in that hard work so they know that they're not alone. And we can practice that by asking for help too. We need to support one another in the body. Otherwise, we won't be able to see what God is doing. So I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and the same Spirit that's at work right now that we've already sensed in worship, to see what that Spirit is up to, to make some of these things that can feel like tough things to either let go of or tough things to pick up, to help make that work easier in the body. Holy Spirit, would you come? I pray that you would fill us right now. You would fill us and help us be led by you. Away from things that draw us away from you and away from one another and towards things that bring us towards you and towards one another. And I feel like God's highlighting specifically today forgiveness. That there's something about the work of forgiveness that as God has forgiven us, he's calling us to forgive one another. There's something empowering about that because we get to say where we were wronged, but we also get to let go of something and say where we need forgiveness to flow freely. So I invite you, you can just do this in the comfort of your seat. If there's something where you know God's working on you, your, fi your fist might already be a fist right now, but I just invite you to make a fist and to ask the Spirit to open you up and to, in real time, just pray, Holy Spirit, open me up. Open me up to the work of the Spirit. Open me up to the family of God. Open me up to not only doing things all by myself, but letting you, Spirit, lead me, even letting the body encourage me in the work I need to do. And as you feel the Spirit open you up, I invite you to kind of let your hands loosen. You can do it in your own timing, in your own way to open yourself up to a place of receiving. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would do that as an act of forgiveness, as an act of opening ourselves up to compassion, as an act to being open to peace. If you still need to be in a fist, that's incredibly okay. But I pray that as we begin to worship, you guys would almost monitor, how do I feel? Do I feel closed or open? And we're going to have prayer ministers that can actually come right now to the side of the room. Those prayer ministers are going to give us an, an opportunity to partner with them, to say, hey, I need actually to receive prayer today. I need to receive prayer in the body for something that might be coming up for you that's kept you closed.